very grateful for that. Right away, when we started this interim time with Prairie View, we began to reconnect with longtime partners in the faith. And we made new connections with fellow believers in Jesus Christ. And that has been an enormous blessing to us. God continues to open doors for ministry. I have been preaching more Sundays than I have not. In two Sundays, I'm filling in for a preacher who's having knee surgery in Spartanburg, Indiana. And I am a candidate for a Sunday-only preaching position in, uh, in a church in northwest Ohio. So we will not be back as often, but we will be back. And we will be careful to choose a Sunday when you're going to be eating together. (laughs) In June, I told you about a preacher who had filled in for another preacher. And he explained at the beginning, he said that uh, this interim time was a little bit like a broken window. A replacement would be a real pane of glass. But he was not a replacement. He was only a substitute. And he compared himself to a piece of cardboard just filling the gap. And it has been a genuine joy to be with you and be that cardboard to help fill the gap. And now Ben is here, and I'm certain he's going to be a real pain. We are confident that Ben and Olivia are going to be great assets to this church. You already have wonderful assets in your leaders. They are good men. They are godly men. And it has been an honor and a privilege to serve with them. We are excited about the future for Prairie View. We have loved you and prayed for you since 1991. And we're going to continue to do that. This morning we conclude this interim time with you with... Uh, the conclusion of our study in the book of Colossians. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Colossians to chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in a few moments at verse 2. Paul has some final instructions and he has a farewell greeting for some people that he loved very, very dearly. And I am just amazed at the way that God's timing has provided for this message. The title of the sermon series is More Than Me, Living in a Selfish Society. Our culture really is so self-focused. Now, I know that there are other issues, and the evaluation that I am about to make is very simplistic. But the budget struggle that's happening right now in Washington, D.C., seems to me to be a symptom of our self-focused culture. One side is saying, don't take away what I have in the form of higher taxes. Another side is saying, don't take away what I have by reducing services. Now, I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. I'm not blaming anyone. I certainly don't have a solution. I simply want to point out that all of this is a symptom of a self-absorbed culture. The letter written to the Colossians is teaching us how to live in a selfish society. So let's learn a little something from God's Word this morning. I want to begin reading for you in Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery 
of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has happened here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and at Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Now I want to go back to the first verse in the text. I want to go back to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2 and I want to point out Paul's opening imperative. Devote yourselves to prayer. Our English word devote is based on two Greek words that were squished together to make a new word with a new meaning. The first part of it is pros. Pros is a preposition that means toward. And the second part of it is kartereo, and it means to be strong or to endure. If it's used figuratively, it is used for patience. Literally, the two words coming together mean something like be strong toward something. And we are a devoted people, aren't we? We will devote ourselves. Have you seen the video that has gone viral on the Internet? Last month in Argentina, there was a hailstorm. And I think we're going to get some video that's going to show us just how devoted a man was to protecting his car <laughs> from the hail. No concern at all about his dignity. Just crawled up on top of the car. No concern for the hail. I'm looking at this, looking at the size of that hail, and I'm thinking, that's got to hurt. 
but he was willing to do whatever it would take to protect the paint on his precious possession. That is a man devoted to his car. And in our selfish society, we will devote ourselves, won't we? We'll devote ourselves to sports. We'll devote ourselves to career. We'll devote ourselves to success. We'll devote ourselves to a relationship. And Mark, let's, yeah, thank you. I was being distracted. We will devote ourselves to so many things. Paul entreats us to find something that is more than me. For my very first sermon with you, I brought along a t-shirt from the high school from which I graduated. It says on the front, Northrop Bruins, go Bruins. And I had my name put on the back of the shirt just so everyone would know who I am. And we talked about that sometimes a coach will pull a player off the court and he will ask him very sternly, which side of your jersey are you playing for? Are you playing for the team? Or are you playing for yourself? And we ask that question of us. Who do you play for? Are you playing for yourself? Are you living for yourself? Are you striving for yourself? Or are you living for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And now we're asking a similar question from this text in just a little bit different form. We're asking, what are you devoted to? And the Holy Spirit tells us very clearly, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul is telling us to be strong toward prayer, to be patient in prayer, to endure in prayer. And his injunction takes us right back to the example of the early church. The early New Testament church has its record recorded in the book of Acts. And that teaches us that you could not keep these people apart. They were devoted. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They were constantly in prayer. Not occasionally, not even frequently. They were constantly in prayer. If we read on into chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice what it does not say. This does not say they believed the apostles' teaching. They enjoyed fellowships. They had good times in the breaking of bread. They were devoted. Now, my Catholic friends are very concerned right now because they are without a pope. And that is something to be concerned about. However... I'm thinking about what the Pope has said he's going to do with his remaining days on this earth. He says he's going to devote his life to prayer. And I'm a little bit envious to have the opportunity to devote most of your life to that which matters most, to prayer. 
just a little bit envious. Now, all of that is causing some problems within the Catholic Church. Not the least of them is how do they refer to this man who is the ex-pope? This hasn't happened for 600 years. They don't know what to call him. I have a suggestion. Call him ex-Benedict. See, it's easy to remember. In the early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We founded this church on the apostles' teaching. We didn't do everything right, but we did teach what was in the Word of God. And you have continued to do that. And so I plead with you, know your Bible, read your Bible, study your Bible, absorb your Bible, live it, and teach it. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and devote yourself to prayer. Now, we could talk for days about when to pray, how to pray, what to pray, but we have a limited time, and so I want to offer a very narrow focus on what Paul says in our passage to pray for. Let's go back to verses 3 and 4 of Colossians 4. Where we read, and pray for us too, so that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, what could Paul have put on his prayer list? Remember, he writes this from prison. Don't you think that he would have, I'll tell you what, I would have put at the top of the list, pray for me to get out of prison. At the very least, pray for better food and a softer bed. Pray for my health as I live in this life-size Petri dish that they call a prison cell. All of those would have been valid prayer concerns. But what does Paul ask? An open door. He has a message. He has a message that cannot be heard through a closed door. He needs an open door. He needs an opportunity. And this was not the only time that he used this metaphor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he said, A great door for effective work has been opened to me. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 12, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Paul kept going back to that idea. It was a really good visual for him. It's a great visual for me. An open door. Now we have a time limit, so I need to make this simple. Let's devote ourselves to praying for open doors to proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly as we should. We're going to come back to that. But in order for us to be successful at proclaiming this mystery clearly as we should, we need to take care of one another. That is essentially the message that the Apostle Paul has for the Christians in Colossae. He says he's sending Tychicus, and he doesn't really say so in so many words. But as I read all of verses 7 through 15, I really get the sense that he is saying, take care of this man. And the same for Onesimus. Paul reminds them that he's a hometown boy. He's saying, you look out for one of your own. After all, that's who he is. And he writes of Mark, welcome him. 
I want to take a quick review through verses 7 through 15 of Colossians chapter 4 and see how we are to treat one another. Tychicus is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Onesimus is our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Aristarchus is a fellow prisoner, and Mark is to be welcomed. Epaphras is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus and his dear friend, Luke the doctor. Collectively, they are fellow workers in the kingdom of God, and they have proved to be a comfort to Paul. Now, I'm going to meddle just a little bit, and I want to tell you how to treat your new preacher. Relate to Ben as a brother in Christ and relate to Olivia as a sister in Christ. View them as faithful ministers and fellow servants of the Lord. They are to be welcomed as one of you. Treat them as dear friends. Now, that's not just one preacher trying to pave the way for another preacher. That's just what the Holy Spirit instructs us. In Colossians chapter 4, brother and sister, faithful servant, welcomed as dear friends. Now, right now, that's real easy to do. Take heed. I'm going to offer you a warning. For most churches, somewhere between the first and second anniversaries of a minister's work, there's a problem. It's usually right about the 18-month period that things start to get bumpy. Most of the time, it's not a doctrinal error. It's not ethical misconduct. It's not a moral issue. What happens is we get to know each other. The excitement fades. The glamour wears off. And we start to find out who each other is. The preacher finds out, I didn't know these people were like that. And people sitting in the, in the chairs are going, I didn't know he's going to be like that. And things get really bumpy. Now, I've heard this from a large number of ministers. I experienced it in every one of my ministries. We went through it with my ministry with Prairie View. And we got through it. Do you know how we got past it? I was considered a brother. Treated as a faithful servant and loved as a dear friend. Do you want Ben's ministry to last with you more than two years? Then treat him as a brother, a fellow servant, and a dear friend. And pray for him. Pray for open doors. Pray for him to have open doors to proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly as he should. Does that sound familiar? We read that back up in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Now I want to tie that to what we learn in verses 16 and 17 of our text. So let's go back to Colossians 4, verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work that you have received in the Lord. Paul told his original readers, don't keep this to yourself. Share it. 
Make sure that others hear it. They need to know it and you need to share it. Now, what's the tendency in our selfish society? Our tendency is, I took care of me and mine. You take care of you and yours as long as you don't take away from me and mine. And we deplore that, don't we? We are not selfish people. We don't enjoy being around selfish people. Admit it, when you see somebody standing on a busy intersection and they have a sign that says, I will work for food, it tugs at your heart. Now, you may not stop. You may not give them any money. And you know that if you stop and offer them work, they won't take the work. And so we get a little cynical. At the same time, you're not an ogre. You want to help the less privileged. You don't want anyone to go hungry. You don't want anyone to sleep on the street. If you ran across somebody who was cold, you would take off your coat and give it to him. You have a tender heart. Unless that is... Someone is out in the cold spiritually. We don't pay much attention to the spiritual hungry. We would much sooner rescue somebody from a cold night on the street than the eternal fires of hell. It's so much easier to give five or ten dollars to the Salvation Army so they can give a Christmas gift to a child than it is to tell the child about the Savior who was born. We have politicians and we have political pundits right now who are trying to analyze what's going on with our culture. They've examined the drive-by shooting incidents and drugs on the corner and suicides in school buildings. They have an avalanche of data trying to diagnose the problem. Now, I don't want to sound arrogant and I don't want to come off as mean-spirited, but I think I know what the problem is. America is sick Because the church in America has been stingy with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have kept it for ourselves and we have not given it away. We have mistaken preaching for evangelism. We have mislabeled buildings as outreach. We have deceived ourselves into believing that our moral behavior is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul told the Colossian Christians to share what they had been given. They said, make sure that your brothers and sisters in Laodicea hear this. And you make sure you hear the letter from them. You share the word of the Lord. Now, you are sitting and I am standing in an excellent location. I am convinced with all my heart that this location is god Given Now, we didn't have miraculous things like a plague of locusts or water gushing from a rock here where the building is standing now. But I can tell you that I relentlessly pursued this piece of property, but that's not why we have it. It was God-given. This building is a great tool. It has curb appeal. It is multifunctional. But I'm going to tell you something that you already know. People don't respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ because of a location. People don't follow Jesus into a church building. What do people do? People walk through the doors they are invited into. And I said that we would come back to open doors. 
Paul asked the Colossians to pray for open doors. So I'm asking you to pray for Ben for open doors. Pray that there will be doors open for him. But who did we just say he is? Did we just say that Ben is the hired gun? Did we just say that Ben is the paid evangelist? Did we just say that he's the one that is paid to go out and win souls to Jesus Christ? What version of the Bible did you read that in? I think I know which version. It's the popular version of the Bible because that's the way most of us behave. Do you want Ben's ministry to be successful? Do you want this church to grow? Do you want to see these chairs and more filled every Sunday? Do you want to see people immersed into Jesus Christ on a consistent basis? Do you want to see families strengthened and lives changed and souls won? Then pray for open doors. And when you get the open doors, go through them. Don't keep the good news of life in Jesus Christ to yourself. Tell somebody, pray, pray some more. And then walk through the door when it opens. I want to suggest some indicators of open doors for our culture. Here's a, here are first some indicators of some closed doors. If, if a family has plenty of money, in all likelihood the door to the gospel is going to be closed. If everybody's healthy and they just returned from a vacation in Tahiti, the door's not going to be open very far. I want to tell you about my friend. I'll call him John. I'll call him John because that's his name and it keeps me from getting confused. And John and I go way back. John and I, I have been telling John about Jesus Christ since 1975. That is no exaggeration. And John has not been interested. John's got a good job, nice family, comfortable home. Everyone is healthy. From time to time, I'll call John and say, let's have lunch. And we'll have lunch together. And we always say, we need to do this more often. But it's never John that calls me. Until not too long ago, John called. You know what the open door was? Family crisis. And I responded to his call. And I walked through the door. Now, I wish that I could tell you that John responded to the gospel, committed to his, his life to Jesus Christ, was baptized in the whole nine yards. I have, I have lots of stories like that that I could tell you. But preacher stories... And at least in my experience, tend to be like sitcoms. They get wrapped up in less than 30 minutes and usually end with a punchline. But this isn't Hollywood. This is real life. And so I'm asking you to pray for John. Pray for an open door. Pray for another opportunity. Pray for open doors. Here are some indicators of open doors within our culture. When there's a birth of a child... There's an open door. When there's a job promotion, very often there's an open door. The death of a family member, a divorce, financial trouble. When there's some kind of major illness, when there is a life-changing or life-challenging event, there just might be an open door for the gospel. So pray for me and pray for Ben. 
and pray for each other and pray for yourself. As you do, remember that as you are praying and as you are walking through the open door, people are going to be asking, which side of the jersey are you playing for? What are you about? Are you about something that is more than me? If you're all about you, if you are all about you and yours, then nobody's going to pay very much attention. And so I'm asking you, are you living differently than our selfish society? If not, when you go through that open door, you don't have a message to share. So I'm right back to where I was in June. I'm asking which side do you play for? Who do you play for? And are you ready to make a change? Have you been playing for yourself? Have you been looking out for you and yours? Have you been going through the motions, but not genuinely following Jesus Christ? If that's the case, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you and learn together from God's Word how that can change. Donna and I are going to be here for a while, and we would, we'd love to talk to you. Your elders are good men. And they would love the opportunity to sit down with you and share with you from their perspective and from their experience and from God's word how you can live for more than me. Let me ask you to do this. Before you leave the building, find Ben. And go to Ben and tell him, That you want more open doors. Go to Ben and tell him that you want more of Jesus. Go find Ben. And tell him. That you want more than me. Let's pray. Father in heaven. I am asking right now that uh, you will open doors. We're being obedient to the instruction of the Apostle Paul this morning and asking that you will open doors. Maybe open the door in 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 an aisle in a Walmart. Maybe open a door at the neighbor's house next door. Maybe open a door in the next cubicle at work. Maybe open a door within our extended family. But give us the opportunity to share the love of your son Jesus. Give us the clarity of thought and speech to clearly communicate how your love has changed us. I'm so grateful for your son Jesus. So grateful that we have 
a message to relate. So grateful that you have changed us by your love and your mercy and grace. So grateful that you have renewed us and given us new life in your son Jesus by your Holy Spirit. And so I ask now, Father, as this congregation stands on the threshold of wonderful things, that from this point forward, your son Jesus will be honored and glorified in this place and through these people. And I ask this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.